The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. We may live over 5,000 miles from Lincoln Financial Field. But what we lack in proximity, we make up for in film study. And each and every week, we will be bringing you in-depth film breakdowns from across the pond and the Sooner State. Welcome to On the Shane Page. I am your host, Shane Half. You can follow me on Twitter at half and excuse me at Shane Half NFL. And I'm joined by BGN's own Johnny Page. Give him a follow on Twitter at Johnny Page Nine. Johnny, how are you doing this evening? I hate to moan, but. It's just, it's hard, isn't it, NFL season on Monday night games? When, when you're watching film and new podcasts for us, it's Wednesday. Um, although I must admit, I've never felt so uh, big-headed as last week when I just, my phone's buzzing, people saying, you got the defensive coordinator fired. And I was like, I, I wasn't even that mean. Um, I, don't, I, I, I don't think we did. But if Howie is listening, um, hello, can you not sign linebackers that can't run in the future, please? Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a rough watch, wasn't it? Um I mean, I actually, I weirdly felt quite comfortable about the game. And then when we, that first few drives, I was feeling good and the defense looked all right. I mean, I was like, oh, we're still going to be all right. And then it all went horribly wrong. And throw back behind it or peel back behind the curtain. I have to watch that game Tuesday morning. So I didn't get into a late Monday night because of Christmas fun. Had to wake up at 5 a.m., watch the Eagles lose, think about it all day at work, come home and then watch the game again for the All-22. So my Tuesdays on a Monday night game when we lose are horrendous. Not that I'm complaining at all, Shane, about being here, uh, but I feel like this could be an interesting one. There's almost too much to talk about, so we're going to try and condense it to three things as always. But some of these points are very broad because I do feel like, especially with literally a new defensive coordinator or whatever he's called, defensive man with the headset. I don't know what they're calling uh, Patricia at this point, but yeah, there's a lot to get into. So I guess I'll stop waffling and uh, I wish you know, probably he, get going. He's the defensive guy wearing the headset, calling the plays on the sideline. That's definitely not the defensive coordinator because there's still a defensive coordinator. He's just in the booth with the interns, not calling plays. Uh, so whatever, whatever that official job title is, uh, we will talk about him. But why did uh, they put him on the cameras? Why? Did, <laughs> why was he in that room? I, I, he, you could tell he was literally just like logging stuff. Like I think the broadcast tried to make it sound like he was doing an important job, like looking from above. And I'm pretty sure he was probably just writing down like what front they were in against what personnel package and i'm pretty sure he was just doing like any like something anyone could have done like there was no expert there was no expertise required there maybe i'm wrong maybe he was talking to patricia and as the game was going on but i i highly highly doubt he was doing anything 
uh, worthy. I mean, fair play to him for turning up, I guess. But can we put him somewhere else? Not in a room with a camera next time. He just felt incredibly harsh. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, well, let's dive into it. We'll start here uh, with the offensive side of the ball today. And uh, I guess let's kick off. Let's just have a conversation about the offense as a whole. And as Johnny mentioned, Monday games are rough for us to get ready to record by Wednesday. Earlier on, you know, I had like the film clips that we would tweet out after the podcast and all those things. And not having those last week and this week and probably next week, it's not a reflection of, man, we're hitting that wall. It's just Monday. For me, I don't get the film until Wednesday morning and we record Wednesday afternoon. So I literally finished watching the game 10 minutes ago and we clicked record. I haven't had time to put it together. Um, so a little more disorganized again this week and next week, but hopefully we will get off of Monday games back to Sunday and we'll be able to get a little more prep into these. But uh, maybe in some ways this is better. We can just have like this raw and processed reaction to what we saw. And the first thing I want to talk about is who bears a responsibility for the woes of the offense, because there are segments of Eagles fandom that are so sure that it's Brian Johnson. And there is a segment that is so sure that it's Nick Sirianni. And there's a segment that is so sure it's Jalen Hurts. And I'm just sitting here thinking it's everyone, but that's a lame answer. But like, I mean, you look at this game, the, the Eagles dominate that like their opening drive was flawless. Uh, they, they had one pass on the opening drive that was over eight air yards. They were just picking the offense or the defense apart. They were running the ball, throwing underneath. The one pass over eight air yards was like a 12-yard curl to Dallas Goddard. Flawless. And if you think back over the last two weeks, they've had really good opening drives. And so the scripting of plays has been really good. And then as you get later in the game, you start to push for these big plays. And it's it's almost like they're they're saying, all right, we threw underneath on the first drive. Now you have to respect that and give us our shot plays. Uh, maybe it's that. Maybe it's that Nick Sirianni is really good at scripting the plays out. And then once you get off of the scripted plays, Brian Johnson just flounders a little bit. Maybe Brian Johnson's really good at scripting plays in a meeting room on a Thursday. And he struggles to put his finger on the pulse of the game once he's off the scripted plays. And if that's the case, that's not the worst thing in the world. Like, you know, if he's game planning well, but he's just not sequencing plays the best. You know, that's something you grow into. Now, the problem with having an offensive minded head coach that's not the one calling plays is about the time Brian Johnson gets good at that. He's going to get hired away as a head coach and you have to start the process over again. But there's just a major difference between how the Eagles are opening games and then what it turns into. And a lot of it comes down to over-reliance on explosive plays. In this game, Hertz was 0 of 4 with two interceptions and an EPA of negative 1.55 on throws of over 20 air yards. He was 17 of 27 with an EPA per play of 0.333, under 20 yards. Throwing between the numbers, under 20 yards, he was 9 of 12 for 80 yards. Like, that's where your bread was buttered in this game, and yet they threw more outside the numbers than they did inside the numbers with, with awful results. And... You know, you, you heard Julian Love's comments after the game about we knew they were going to go to 11 on the last play. And, you know, there's some tendencies in that. Um, 
AJ Brown took to Twitter to talk about the one third down play saying he was the primary read. And even on that one, yes, it's single high, but the corner is playing with like 12 yards of cushion. Like you should be coming off of that vertical route and get to Devonte Smith, who was wide open. And so I think it's as simple as if Hertz sees that one-on-one to AJ Brown, they're going to throw it every time. The question is, is that Hertz preference? Is that what he's being told to do? Like, I don't, there's no way to parse that out and know from outside the building what's going on. But the point is, it is going on, and it's a major problem for the offense. Yeah, it's like a, the biggest loaded question ever. So I know you've spoke about a couple of your points there, and I wanted to get to mine. I don't really know how to talk about the offense, Shane, because there's like so much I want to say because it's such a philosophical debate. Like, basically, the answer is, is everyone's fault. Uh, it's definitely Jalen Hurts' fault. I mean, and somebody had reactions this week. I mean, everyone, like, calm down. Like, he's had a fine year overall. About a month ago, he was probably the MVP, and I was saying how well he'd been playing. He is obviously not seeing the field very well right now. But there's only one or two plays um, that weren't really to do with, like, him seeing the field. A lot of it, people say, oh, he's reading it wrong. I'm like, no, he's reading it exactly as he's told. When he sees single hire and he has AJ Brown in one-on-one, he is going to throw it. Now, you can moan all you want about Jalen Hurts. You can moan, uh, but you can say, oh, but it's a disaster. Devontae Smith is wide. It doesn't matter. Okay, please stop talking about this like it's a progression. It's not how it works. It's very simple. If he reads single high coverage, which he barely got at all, by the way, I, the Seahawks played so much split safety coverage. They were obsessed with stopping the Eagles from going deep. And you can almost see Hurts' eye light up. When he saw that rotation to single high, he saw it a few times. Basically, both of the deep shots were AJ Brown on the interception and on the uh, throw earlier on in the game on the third down when Devontae Smith is wide open. That's because they've gone to single high. And he, that's basically the read. Now, you could argue don't put it in there. And I think a more pragmatic take would be actually let's have it in there. But Jalen, if they're playing off coverage, if they're 12 yards deep, if you've got pressure on you potentially uh, and you can't step into the throw, maybe then don't do that and try and read through it. Um, but it's not a simple answer. Everyone wants an easy thing to blame and it's everything. It's down to coaching. Coaches have got to coach Hurts harder. They've got to tell him, no, that that's not the best option to make in that particular situation. There is a couple of plays that Hurts had that were a disaster when he didn't read the play at all. And there's a few we can show. Um, but my overall opinion on the offense is like it's basic, but everyone knows it's basic. It's meant to be basic. That's the whole premise of it. Now, you can moan all you want about, look how good Shanahan is, but there's not, there's not another Shanahan. So, like, you can talk about other offenses all you want. I don't really care about the simplicity of it because I think the offense should be good enough to win in a simple way. And I look at this game and I think, Do you know what? The game plan worked. Like, if the Eagles execute the game plan, they win the game. The plan was the Seahawks are going to play two safeties all the time, about 15, 20 yards back. So, we're going to run it because we've got a plus one in the box, and then we're going to throw it short. And it was working. And I can't help but feel like the Eagles just got bored. Like, it's a really basic take, but defenses did this to Patrick Mahomes a couple of years ago. They never changed the Seahawks. They threw the odd random single high coverage in there, but they did it deliberately on, like, third and eight, third and ten at the end of the game, almost to bait Jalen Hurts into throwing it deep. Um, The Eagles have just got to take what the defense is giving them. You can say whatever you want about this offense being basic, and I agree with you. Motion's pretty average how they use it. Um, they're 11 personnel all the time. Like, there's no creativity in terms of personnel package at all. I'm pretty sure I can't remember a 12 personnel snap or that wasn't a um, QB roughly shoving this play, except for like a couple of the pony personnel pa- pa- uh, plays they ran. As always, they run like one or two, and that's it. It's just straight 11 personnel, barely any motion. 
However, despite all my complaints about the offense, and I do have a few specific ones I'll get to later on, the Eagles still win if they execute the game plan better. Like, if Hurts doesn't chuck two interceptions deep, or if Quez Watkins fights for a ball, and that's a whole other discussion about who the hell is playing Quez Watkins. I don't want to get into that today because everyone knows it's dumb. Like, I don't want to sound like people are idiots, but there's almost no point in us talking about it because he's obviously not very good, and I don't know why the Eagles keep playing him, and I don't know who to blame, so I don't like talking about it because I don't want to do I blame Nick Sirianni? Do I blame the wide receivers coach? Do I blame Brian Johnson? It's almost one of those things that like I don't know what to say. But my big thing for me is the uh, obsession with with explosive plays. We know it's there. We know it's there because they tell us it's there. Nick Sirianni tells us it all the time. Jason Kelsey comes on the radio today and explicitly says, we need more explosive plays. And I'm think, sitting there thinking, no, you don't. You did not lose that game because of explosive plays. If you had done the same thing you did on the first and second drive, go and watch how far back the Seahawks' safeties were. You did not need to hit explosive plays in that game. And if that's your offensive leader, with the exception of Jalen Hurts, coming out and telling you we're not winning games because we're not hitting explosive plays, then I think it sums up everything. Like, what else do we need to say about the the way the offense is centered? It's very obvious that is their focus. They believe that you run the ball, you throw short, not as their identity. I think that's really important to know. That's not what they want to do. They want to do it to set up deep shots later on. Hertz was waiting for that deep shot to Quez Watkins. The read is not terrible. It's not the worst read in the world. Quez should do a lot better. The two deep shots to AJ Brown, it's not the worst read in the world. He's one-on-one. If you want to take the shot, you're within your right to take your shot. But it wasn't necessary. Um, situationally, the team are dumb. I don't really know why. I've got some more specifics to get into rather than just moaning and ranting that we can get into now. Um but I think it's everyone's fault. I think you can blame Brian Johnson for having quite a stale game plan, but I think the whole point of the offense is they're meant to be stale. I think you can look at personnel part sides and say, why aren't they using more 12 personnel? Why aren't they using Rashad Penny at all? Why aren't they uh, using uh, Zacchaeus over Chris Watkins? Why is Julio Jones basically a giant tight end? doesn't do anything. Um, there's loads of things you can talk about. Yeah, I can't help but feel like it still comes down to execution mainly because the Eagles are very lucky and they're extremely talented. And not every team can just throw short and run and win on teams that have too high safeties because they can't run effectively enough. The Eagles can. Like, the Eagles have got enough talent to do it. Um, I think it's everyone's fault. Um, my worry is now, at this point, they need fresh eyes in the building. They need people to look at this offense and sit down with Hurts and really coach him hard. And I'm not sure it's a problem to get solved now. But I would say they could easily turn it on and score 34 points in the playoff game. Easily. Because that same game we just watched, if AJ Brown catches one of those deep shots, if Chris Watkins doesn't get picked off, we're having a totally different conversation today. The sky's not falling in. Like the first three quarters were quite good on offense. The, the plan was fine. They just totally lost their heads in situational moments, which I don't really understand why. Um, there are some other critiques we have. But yeah, big picture, I struggle to like rationalize it without going on a rant for about an hour. Because it's everything. It's structurally, it's foundationally, it's philosophically, it's the way they're built is, in my opinion, harming them at the moment. Um, that doesn't mean there's not other problems. But I think when you talk about who's to blame, it's it's the culture of the Eagles offense. It's everyone. Um, to Quez Watkins not running routes hard enough, to players uh, going on Twitter and defending stuff after the game and moaning about different things and Kel saying we're not getting explosive plays. Like I just think it's a little bit broken. The comments after the game suggest it's a little bit broken. And we're going to see a little bit about Hurt's leadership and what the coaching staff can actually do because the talent is there. It's not like the defense. Like They could turn this around with ease. They could they could solve this in four or five days. And I genuinely believe that. When you've got Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson, Jordan Mylata, decent running backs, uh, Dallas Goddard, AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, and Jalen Hurts, like you can, you can fix that problem. It's not impossible to fix. 
um, whether they win or not, uh, I'm sort of losing hope uh, with every week, unfortunately. Yeah, the, the Jason Kelsey comment on the radio today is very damning because, like you said, that's not the issue. The Not generating explosive plays is not the issue. The issue is that you're continuing to try to generate them when they're not there. You're just not taking what the defense gives you, and and that's going to kill this offense if they don't snap out of it. Now, if you're an Eagles fan that wants some optimism, 2021, the Rams went on a three-game losing streak. It was in November instead of December. Um, and then, you know, the final three weeks of the season, Matthew Stafford threw seven interceptions. And on my whole NFL podcast, I remember saying going into that, I just don't think the Rams are going to be able to pull it off. The offense isn't clicking well enough. And of course they went on a run and won the Super Bowl. So the Eagles offense can bounce back, but they've got to figure out what the issue is. And right now I think they're totally focusing on the wrong thing. Yeah. Before actually we get on to the second point, Shane, can I, can we talk about the big plays that everyone's talking about? Because I feel like we actually rushed for it. Um, if you've got my clips up, let's have a quick chat about some of the deep shots. So if people are watching the videos as well, they can see what we're talking about. Um, firstly, I, I don't like criticizing professional athletes, but ignore AJ Brown when he says it's, it's a shot play, like depending on your definition of a shot play. I look at a shot play as like you're sending two men deep, maybe a check down. And the idea is to go deep only. That's not what the Eagles ran. So you can say to Brian Johnson, don't run shot plays. It wasn't like there was lots of progressions for Hertz. He could have easily not chucked it deep. Let's start with uh, play nine, uh, Shane. So this is the third and eight that really annoys everyone. And this is a fascinating play to break down because essentially, um, the Eagles have got Devonta Smith running a absolutely wide open drag route on third and eight, and AJ Brown running sort of an out and up. Um, now it's so easy, isn't it, to say, "Oh my goodness, look how wide open he is!" But as I keep saying, it doesn't matter. Watch Hertz's eyes; he sees that safety rotate. He sees he's got single high. He doesn't come off AJ Brown because that, again, whose fault is it? I don't know. Coaching, not coaching him hard enough. Uh, could you argue miscommunication as well? Is he even throwing this deep, or is he throwing sort of a back shoulder throw? I don't really know. I would argue that's a QB issue because, in my opinion, he should see the leverage of the cornerback and realize that that's going to be an incredibly difficult throw. But again, that also does come down to coaching a little bit. Um, but let's not, I know people look at Devontae Smith, look how wide open he is. He's in his frame of the quarterbacks don't play like that. Like, I've not played the position in the NFL, but I know what these guys are looking at. They're looking at safeties rotating. And the second they do that, they're going to look at the guy. He doesn't need to re move a safety here, he doesn't need to move anyone with his eyes. If he makes a decision within the first half a second, he's going to AJ Brown. Nothing else matters. Nothing. So that's one decision when we're talking about, is it structural? It's everything. Um, the, the, there's nothing wrong with a play design. It's not a case of a play design. You can Anyone can draw up plays on a piece of paper. I can get a piece of paper right now and draw double slants. I'm not an NFL offensive coordinator. It's a very simple concept. It's fine. The question is how he's being coached. Because that could be a very simple thing. Where Right. If they show off coverage, don't throw it to, to one receiver. If he's ignoring that, then it's on Hertz. If he's not being coached to do that, then it's on coaching. You can't blame the coaches if Hertz is being told not to do it. But similarly, it happens a lot. And the way Sirianni talks in press conferences about the way they use their weapons and their talent, I get the feeling they're happy with Hertz making that shot. And I think in the meeting room this week, rather than saying what we're saying is, how do you fix it? They're saying, let's go and practice the out and up. Because next time, we're going to hit that. And AJ Brown's going, oh, we're going to hit that next time, Hurts. We got that next time. We got that. So then it's a cultural thing. So how do you determine blame? I don't know. Um, play 10 on my um, film, Fred, is the interception to Quez Watkins. Um, sorry, I know we're going through these deep plays quite a lot, but I think they're really interesting this week. Again, not a two-man shot play. It's a very simple post-dig concept. 
Devontae Smith runs a dig and is wide open. But do you know what? It's not the worst decision in the world to throw this to Quez Watkins. If you take the numbers off the back and pretend that Quez Watkins is somebody good and not Quez Watkins, <laughs> and by the way, this should never get intercepted, by the way. Like, say we about Hurts, that should not get picked. If you look at this from a what Hurts is seeing, he sees that safety sitting short. He then sees that safety turning and running. He's got a slot cornerback running with a head of speed at a safety who is late turning. It's not the worst decision. Again, I'm not going to kill the coaches for this. The dig's open. You can't say bad play design. The dig's open, and I'll give you the post is open, and there's a check down open. I don't even know if to criticize the decision, because if they're going to play Quez Watkins, you can't tell the quarterback, don't throw it to him. Then there's this weird thing of a line of scrimmage where AJ Brown just walks because he has no idea what the play call is. Chris Watkins is late getting off the line. And if he was early getting off the line, maybe he is wide open. And maybe Hertz is expecting him to be a yard further down the field as well. It's just everyone. It's too simplistic to say it's Hertz's fault. It's too simplistic to say shot plays. They're going deep all the time. It's a, it's a, that's just one of those plays that like another day it's fine, but it seems to sum up because of how bad it was. Um, I think the worst one for me is the final game interception, uh, play 12 on my film thread. The reason why it's the worst one is just because of situational awareness. They need, what, 15 yards, 20 yards? Um, they just don't need to take the shot. Um, they don't need to take it. It's the same uh, players earlier in terms of it's an out and up. He says he sees single high safety rotation. The second he, he's staring at the safety, he's trying to hold him off with his eyes. But because the cornerback's got outside leverage, he's so late coming to the throw hurts. Out of all of them, I think this is the worst one for him. I think this is on him because he's late to the throw. So whatever you think about it, he's just late timing-wise. But it's not helped by the fact that the cornerback's like 15 yards off AJ Brown. Like, you should be eliminating this as a read immediately. And again, if you want to talk about, oh, the coaching, where well, they've got a check down to his left, he's wide open. Um, there are options here. It's not a two, It's not like last week. Remember, we looked a couple of weeks ago, these two-man root concepts where there's no one else in the progression it's throw it deep or nothing they're the plays i hate they are not on the quarterback they are a offense trying to be obsessive explosive plays this is not being obsessive explosive plays this is like a standard three level stretch concept you've got a short route you've got an intermediate route you've got two check downs on the other side like it's fine you can't blame the coaches and say they're obsessive explosive plays there's nothing wrong with that play call at all it's but you, it's everyone it's coaches it's players it's the connection between AJ Brown and Hurts not working. It's whether they're telling him not to take these shots when the cornerbacks are so far off. I think you could argue the Seahawks read the Eagles to a T, to an absolute T. Play too high, give up a few touchdowns, they didn't care. Then eventually, play off coverage, start rotating to a little bit of single high, get Hurts to go, oh, shiny toy, safety in the middle, throw it deep. But also doing that while playing really, really off coverage. So basically, I think the Seahawks had the Eagles number and the Eagles got to learn basically that other teams are going to do this. They just have to keep taking it short and short. And I don't care if it's not what the offensive wants to do. I don't care if it's not how they built. They've got to suck it up because otherwise they're not going to win many games, except for maybe against the Giants because they might be terrible. But they're not going to win many proper games this year because the offense is going to have to put up 27, 28 plus points every week. Yeah, I mean, if I'm a defensive coordinator, I'm going to play single high and just break over the top of AJ Brown with my deep safety every time. And that essentially puts you playing, you know, it's like you're playing split field safety, except there's just nobody over the top of the other side because the Eagles want to throw that. And that's what Julian Love does on that last play. Like he rotates to the hash and then immediately pivots back to AJ Brown because he knows. And he said after the game, he knew they're going to number 11 and I never took my eyes off of him. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, I'm let's change it. It's no longer single high, let it fly. How about single high throw an out route? Like Devonte <laughs> Smith, that out route it's there. It's at the 40. You're kicking a 57 yard field goal. And I get to talk about how Jake Elliott's the best kicker in the world again, but you just don't have it. And uh, well, yeah, I don't know. Well, so my second thing on the offense I want to talk about, and I wrote this up on Twitter. You guys can check out the full write-up where I go through um, all of all of the situations the Eagles have had the ball in the fourth quarter with a lead this season. Last year, they were so good with a lead in the fourth quarter at closing these games out. And this year, they're so bad. Uh, and I detail them all out what happened. But essentially, this season, they have had the ball with a realistic chance to run out the clock 13 times. And they've only done it twice, 15% of the time. Uh, I specifically in this game, they take a 17 to 10 lead. And then their final four possessions, they went punt, interception, punt, interception. Now, not all of those count. The first punts, not in the fourth quarter, the last interception, they're trailing. But those two in the middle, they had the ball with 10 minutes left up four. And they throw an interception to Quez Watkins. When they're moving the ball, I might add, they're, they're just methodically moving it down the field and they decide to take the shot to Quez. Fine, your defense gets a three and out. I think it was a three and out. Regardless, they get a punt. You get the ball back up four with six and a half minutes left and they end up punting. And so this has been an issue. Like you put your D de- and, you know, we could talk about the third down play and Hurts bailing from a pocket when there's no pressure and Devontae Smith's coming open on a slant route that would have picked up a first down and got you to the two-minute warning. Like, you probably ice the game, but you don't. You punt it, and then you put your def- – yes, the defense gave up a 92-yard game-winning drive to Drew Locke, but the offense put them in that position, and they've been putting them in that position all year. The Eagles' offense is incapable of closing out games this year. Uh, it, it's a major issue. Two of their four losses have come when they gave up a lead after the offense either turned it over or couldn't run out the clock, the Jets game being the other one. And in several other games, the defense has had to bail out the offense for not being able to run the clock out. And when you have the questions on the defensive side of the ball that the Eagles have, and we'll get to the defense, the offense simply has to be able to close out games. And it's just something they haven't been able to do this year. And so that's a big takeaway. It's something I've seen all season uh, that's costing the Eagles games. Yes. And actually, I'm going to link my second and third point together because of timing. And I do want to talk about the defense a lot, seeing as you know, new defensive coordinator, man, person standing on the sideline. Um, There's the reason why they can't close out, Shane, I think is very easy because the Eagles uh, run game is, as it has been all year, is based around winning in the box with numbers. And basically, when defenses move that safety further downhill and they have numbers in the box, the Eagles run game sort of dies a death. Um, I'm actually going to disagree with one of your tweets that I saw this week, uh, which is fun, because you said uh, the Eagles need to start running more under center. And I've been saying this for ages. I actually am going to disagree this week where actually I am. I thought the shotgun run game QB read option was just easy this week. I think where your point is true is that when teams start stacking the box and it's not about a numbers game anymore, maybe that's where we see some under center for Sharp Penny because teams know you're running it anyway. So disguise is like, who the hell cares about disguise? Teams know the Eagles are running it in those situations. Um, so I want to talk about two things that sort of link together to your point. I'm going to start actually, which wasn't going to be my next point, but I'll make it now. If you go to literally play one on my film, Fred, this basically sums up the entire first half for me and why the Eagles need to do nothing fancy at all 
about their run game. Because just look how deep the safeties are on this play by Seattle. And there's a difference, by the way. San Francisco play two deep safeties. They come charging downhill. The Seahawks safeties are like, nope. They're basically not interested. Like, they are just simply there to stop deep shots. This is easy. Like, this is the first play of the game. And I'm watching this like, oh, yes, we're back. <laughs> we're back. Just keep doing this. They haven't got numbers in the box. I mean, some of the Eagles runs in this game were actually weird. Like... It was almost so easy. It was incredible. If you look at play two on my film, Fred, as, as well, Shane, it's like you look at the numbers in the box and you're almost like, are the Seahawks really doing this? If I was a Seahawks fan, I'd be like, um, hello? Because the numbers are so, so heavily in the Eagles' favour. And they're playing these, uh, a lot of the time they play these over fronts where Kelsey's uncovered as well. So it's the best of both worlds. Kelsey can just pull. They get numbers with ease. And actually, I'm not going to play every clip, but there's quite a few I tweeted where there's a few examples actually of Hertz freezing the Seahawks linebackers. I have not seen that in a long time, in a long time. Like, that just hasn't happened this year because the Seahawks were actually worried about the threat of Hertz running. So the reason why they can't close out the games is because all of those plays that we posted there, that is you can only do that in the first quarter, second quarter, when you are basically getting a defense in their original game plan, which in this case was to play too high. When you're trying to run out of the clock, teams are stacking the box. And when teams are stacking the box and the Eagles lose that plus one, they don't really do enough creative, creative, I can't talk, creatively to get anyone free. And also, their running backs aren't good enough. That is a sad truth. Like, uh, Swift and game where they're fine when there's holes and they can make men miss in space. But when they have to just run through like a tiny gap and fall forward and get four rather than two, that's not their game. So I think the way their running game is constructed is actually... Uh, linked to this idea that they can't close out games. Um, and that'll be my second point this week, actually. I'm going to mix it around. Would be basically just that the QB run game was fine. I, I really liked it. Um, next step is what do you do when teams want to actively stop you running? And that only seems to happen in the moment at the end of games because teams are basically realising the Eagles won't commit to it enough. And even this week, I, mean, I don't want to sound like a cliche and say commit to the run, but I think they could have run it more. I think they could have thrown it short more. Those shots to me were pretty much unnecessary towards the end of the games. Yeah. All right. Well, for my final point, I want to talk about two specific plays that are entirely unrelated. And so <laughs> I'm going to do it and just call it a point talking about specific plays. Um, this first one is a shot that the Eagles take downfield to DeAndre Swift. Now, DeAndre Swift is at the top of the field. And a linebacker is out at the boundary against him. And so, you know right away this is man coverage, right? You know because there's one high safety, this is going to be cover one man. And so, they're going to run DeAndre Swift on a vertical route and try to get him behind the linebacker. No problem with that. We can watch this play out. You're going to see it's not open. They try a little slant and go. Linebacker does a good job. Hertz throws it up anyways. It's not even close. I like the look. Test a linebacker in coverage. See what happens. now. Here's the problem. Why is there no other option here? Like DeAndre Swift runs like an in-breaking route directly at the safety. So you're basically double covering Devontae Smith and everybody else just runs a curl route all to the same area of the field. Like if this doesn't work to Swift, where is Hertz supposed to throw this ball? Is he supposed to throw it to the three wide receivers standing in a group here? Is he supposed to throw it to Devontae Smith running directly at a safety? Like, there is literally no other option in this play. And so, you know it's man coverage. Dial up another man-being concept. Like, we're going to try the sluggo to, to 
DeAndre Swift, if that doesn't work, we've got mesh and we're going to run these rub routes or we've got, uh, you know, we've got sale or we've got what it just run some other concept along with it. Like curls, not three curls is not a man beating concept. Running a post directly at the safety. That's not a concept that's going to win. And so this is literally throw it to Deandre Swift or bust. And I just, I don't know what we're doing there. Uh, that's one where I don't have a problem with this idea of let's try to get it to Swift against the linebacker downfield have a backup plan, like come off of it, run mesh, run a rub route, run smash, run something uh, that gives you a second option to win. Uh, so that's the first one. And the second one it is not related to the past game at all, but everybody's seen this clip going around. Uh, I titled this clip CMC called it Christian McCaffrey on the Manning cast called this play out said, you know, that the t- it's going to be a Jalen Hurts run. The tight end's going to come across. This is what the Eagles are doing. And, of course, that's what the Eagles do. I'll roll the clip. You can see it. Uh, this is a third down. They don't pick up the first down. Here's why that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that Christian McCaffrey can call this because all the Eagles are doing is they are emptying out the formation, and the Seahawks have a choice to make. Do we want to be strong in the box? Because if so, the Eagles are going to throw the ball. They're going to throw a little bubble screen, which is probably how I would play this because the Eagles are incapable of blocking for a bubble screen. Like you can't be structurally sound against all this. You can't be four over three on this side, two over one on this side and still have an advantage in the box. And so Christian McCaffrey looks at this and he knows, look at what the Seahawks are giving you. You've got a five man box. You've got five offensive linemen. You've got a tight end and a safety like, you run it that's fine the problem is so Opeta misses his block they're not able to get up to the second level and get the linebacker the blocking is messed up it doesn't matter that Christian McCaffrey calls this play out is it predictable yes it's also unstoppable if you execute like this Kelsey is supposed to get to the second level and he's going to take the safety we need to get somebody off of this double team to the linebacker and you you spring this for a big play the numbers are in the Eagles favor but Opeta gets shed inside after Jason Kelsey helps him with the block. Nobody gets to the second level to the linebacker. Now, if I was going to quibble with this play, it's that why is Kenny Gainwell out here? Like I would swap Kenny Gainwell and AJ Brown, put AJ Brown at the top of the screen here, because now if you're the defense, this safety has to be imminently worried about helping his corner. Who's impressed coverage against AJ Brown. It would create more horizontal, even more horizontal stress but I've seen people really upset about the Eagles offense being predictable because Christian McCaffrey called this play out. And I just don't think it matters. Like it's a good design. It puts the defense in an impossible situation. You're saying pick the way you want to get beat. The Seahawks picked getting beat by the run. And then the Eagles simply didn't execute. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. It's when like defensive players come out and go, we knew what they were running. It's like, Oh, shut up. But it really doesn't matter as much as you think. Like I can tell you a lot of what teams are doing around the league if you watch them all the time if you go and play the rams now they're gonna run duo it's like aha we knew it was coming yeah all right stop it then uh it's not always like it's people overestimate that kind of stuff massively uh, my final point actually was going to be similar to that first play you posted it does feel like the eagles quite often call plays with, with a goal in mind uh, i think that's a very fair criticism of brian johnson and the way it's built it feels like this play is designed to go to this to player x or this player is designed to take advantage of this one specific matchup. And it feels like they don't change a lot. Um, this is not a big point. I actually thought 80% of the 
offensive game plan was fine, as I've said. There was a couple of calls, though, where I was watching it, and I think the Eagles were trying to get a little bit more motion and shifts and movement into their offense due to some criticism. And I thought the spacing was really off. And I watched quite a lot this year of Lions film, um, just because I try and watch if I can. Like, not necessarily all 22 all the time, but teams I'm interested in. And I read a bit in the offseason as well about the Lions offense and stuff they do. And it's a very generic thing to say because every single player or every single coach in the world would say this, but you want to stress defenses horizontally and vertically. It's a very big cliche. What does that mean? It means you basically want to create giant voids, especially in zone defense. Uh, you could do that loads of ways. You can do that horizontally with motion. You could do it with stretch plays. You can do it with like mesh. Uh, you can, doesn't have to just be like all go routes down the field. Some of the Eagles spacing in this game was naff, like really poor. And that just makes it harder for a quarterback who's already maybe not seeing the field that well. So I'm going to give you two examples. These were back-to-back -back plays, by the way. Well, I already post back-to-back -back plays. Um, so I posted them in one clip. So it's play four on my uh, uh, timeline. And these both plays are back-to-back. -back, so I've done some little funky um, play editing thing and stuck them together, which I never do. Um, so this is play one. And just look at the spacing. Like Gamewell and whoever is next to each other, as you're highlighting here. Like that is obviously not meant to happen. But it's not just that. It's Look at the other side, Devontae Smith. He's inside the numbers. You could basically draw a big circle around the entire Eagles and Seahawks team there. You're not stretching them at all. Like, forget whether the place is success or not. I'm not, I'm not evaluating success here. I'm evaluating process. Yes, the pass could be completed to Goddard because the Seahawks were terrible def defending these curl routes. So I'm not really worried about whether it's success or not. I'm talking about more like just philosophically as the way they're trying to defeat teams. This to me is just really poor. Like those that running back and whoever game was next to, um, is it got it, I think, uh, is just bad. Like, that's just really poor. And then the second play is really similar. Now, this throw here looks like an overthrow by Jalen Hurts. AJ Brown's running a simple uh, curl route, and it looks like a bad overthrow. I think it looks like good coverage. But I think Hurts actually has to deliberately throw this almost high and early because the underneath defender is right in the way um, of Hurts' throwing lane. So Hurts can't put this low because there's a defender right in front of him. And it's little things like when you're building an offense, I think it's just it's the minor details matter. Once again, draw a line on the Eagles uh, players when this ball is released. They're in a plane. Like, it's so, so similar. Like, they're not really stressing them. By the way, I'm not even counting the guy down at the bottom of the screen because it's, I, think, I think it's third and eight. So the defense doesn't have to worry about him. They're not creating any vertical stress. Once again, they're narrow. And I think when you're looking at how can you improve as a pass game, this is a good example of how you could say the throw's still on and Hurts could be better. But just in general, I was a little bit like, yeah, some of the spacing I thought was a little bit off. It wasn't a huge point. It wasn't a killer every single play. It wasn't like it was a disaster. But I think when you compare it to the best offenses around the league, it's all very well saying we're going to be simple. We've got to execute. And I said that myself on this podcast. But there was a couple of plays where I was like, yeah, that's... I don't really understand that design-wise. That feels like you've almost put Gamewell out there because he's meant to go out there if they do X with their linebacker, but it hasn't really been fought through properly. Um, it feels a little bit rushed. And when you're a team that only runs a very specific amount of plays, you better be really good at those plays. Because if you're not, unfortunately, you're going to end up with some extremely bad spacing, as we saw um, on Monday night. Yeah. All right. Well, enough about the offense uh we're gonna throw it to a quick break and we're gonna come back and talk about the eagles new defense under a new defensive play caller who's not defensive coordinator matt patricia so back after this
And we are back here on the Shane page, breaking down our top takeaways from the Eagles defense against the Seahawks. Uh, Johnny, I'm going to throw it to you first here. Uh, what was your first takeaway watching this defense? Right. I mean, once again, oh my goodness, Shane, we could say too much. Um, we'll try and break down like a few different things rather than just go nuts. Um, so firstly, the obvious thing was it looked similar structurally. Um, I haven't actually got any clips to play this week because just the fact that it's a Monday night game and I haven't actually posted my fridge yet. So I'll try and talk through. Um, but I felt structurally it was quite similar. Um, they still sucked on third and long. They still played too much man coverage on third and long. The final drive was an absolute disaster. James Bradbury still isn't very good. Um, I think I might let you talk about the the bad side, should I say, a little bit. Um, thanks. Just thanks. I, I, I saw a lot of people saying it's the same and everyone says it's the same because it looked similar. Well, firstly, what did you expect? He's defensive coach man coordinator person has been there like four days in charge or five days it's, it's six days whatever you want to call it it's gonna look similar of course it is um but there were actually some differences and there was a couple of things that i was like oh okay that's a little bit different i i, I quite liked it um some good some bad but at least it was different i guess the one thing was if any of you sat there watching thinking is Hassan reddick playing as a free technique at some point or if some of you sit there saying is patrick johnson playing Sam linebacker. The, I think Patricia obviously comes from the Belichick school of thought. And one of these schools of thought is that uh, you need to get positions, uh, players in different positions to not become predictable, which sounds great until Hassan Reddick's getting shoved out of the way as a free technique and you can't stop the run. But in principle, I quite like the idea of being a little bit less predictable. So the reason why Patrick Johnson was playing off ball linebacker was because I assume he was in to be part of five man front, but then possibly because the offense went no huddle or I can't remember the exact situation or they just changed what they were doing because they're down a distance. All of a sudden, you've got a certain player who then has to become a Sam linebacker. So if Patricia, and I'm talking more big picture here, who knows, keeps the job or does it for a while, or even possibly, very, very possible, does it for another year, um, I think that that's something to look out for. I think players that can play multiple positions in Belichick's defense become a little bit more um, useful, shall we say. And there was one thing that I really liked. I don't know if you've got a clip of this because it's very niche. It's great podcasting. Um, there was a play in the red zone early on when the Seahawks had a bunch and the Eagles actually dealt with it, Shane. And I don't know if you know the play I'm even talking about because we haven't spoken about this off air. Do you know the play I mean or do you not? And if not, I, I, I do, it. and I'm pretty sure that I have it, but so, I'm going to have to wade through my titles. While and find Shane it. is looking to possibly not find it, the Eagles' offense has been absolutely horrendous this year. I'll say this is the play. Yes, this is it. Do you know how excited I got on this play? Because this is just this, this is just peak me and Johnny sharing a brain. Uh, didn't yeah, talk yeah. about this play, just finding it well, on the fly. You, you love to. We're only 10 episodes in, guys. Imagine how we're going to be next season. <laughs> so what I like about this play is the Seahawks do what every good team should do against the Eagles. What do they do? They motion out into a bunch. And if you pause it here, Shane, now straight away, the first guy pressed. So we spoke all year about defenders being on the same level. They don't do it here. The second they motion out, he was not pressing originally. So this is a tendency that they... I've predicted they've seen might happen. They've gone right in the film room, whatever. If they're going to press, sorry, if they're going to motion out into a bunch, we're going to press the, you can call him whatever you want. Some people call him the point guy, the guy on the line of scrimmage, the X. I don't care what you want to call him, but they're going to press the first guy. And what's going to happen is whatever happens, he's going to stay with him. So I think it's Bradley Roby in this case. Uh, then what you've got is you've got two uh, basically secondary players, one outside, one inside. You've taken the words out of my mouth because you've obviously, obviously, were going to say the same thing as me. They did what is known as a banjo, which is essentially very simple, where if the outside receiver runs in, 
rather than chase him across because you've got outside leverage, you pass him off to the inside defender. Therefore, when the inside receiver runs outside, rather than the inside defender following him, because once again, he's got terrible leverage, you pass him off to your outside defender. Now, no play is perfect. And by the way, now teams have seen this, they might come back and try and use it against the Eagles. For example, you could run a little like out and in, and you could run a little angle. Route. There are things you could do. No coverage is perfect. But this to me, if you want to just talk hypothetically, is the best way of dealing with these kind of bunch uh, formations. So a couple of things that stood out to me. Number one was this idea. And there's two things on this play, actually, Shane, that I wanted to mention. Uh, now we can see if we're really in sync. Uh, was Do you know what the other thing I was going to mention was going to be? This is terrible podcasting, but I'm interested. There was something uh, that I noticed happened a couple of times in the game. I'll put you on the spot here. Okay, so here's I'll just tell you what I why I recorded yep. this play and what I was going to talk about. The first thing I was going to talk about is that the Eagles send seven. This isn't blitz five on third down. The Eagles send seven, and it's really kind of six because Nicholas Morrow engages with That's the what center I was going to talk about. And bails was, out. Yeah. And I think he's he's a little slow. Like, I think he spends a little too long engaged before he bails out. Like, he needs to just pop the center, distract him for a second. Like, if you're watching, boom, right now, be out to help drop over the middle of the field uh, to help take away anything coming in. Uh, and then the other thing, which is I thought Keely Ringo did a really good job here in coverage as well on the backside isolated uh one-on-one -on -one. but uh yeah is that is that what you were going to talk about with Morrow? yeah i was going to talk about it. it wasn't the only play they ran another play later on where they put seven men on the line of scrimmage and they dropped three out they only rushed four i think it was on the Jalen carter sack um i think it was on that play but i might be wrong i might have been on the fetcher cock sack um but firstly, that is new. The Eagles have barely ever ran Banjo, whatever you want to call it, uh, this year. Like, it's just not been a thing. Um, I don't study Belichick's defense, but I do know a little bit, like everyone does, about Belichick's defense. And I think one of them is this idea that I spoke about, about a little bit more position this player's idea, like players having multiple roles on the, on the same uh, game. The second thing was that Banjo coverage really stood out to me because that's the best I've seen the Eagles play a bunch in a long time. And I was sitting there rubbing my hands together going, hello. Like, we're doing something here. And then the last point I was going to mention, and Keely Ringo we'll get to later because I thought he was superb, was um, that they kept showing linebackers and then dropping them out into space. I think it was the Jalen Carter sack. I don't know if you've got the Jalen Carter play. And if it's not, then once again, terrible podcasting. But I'm pretty sure the Eagles line up with seven men on the line of scrimmage. And they don't even send anywhere near. I'm pretty sure they rush four. But what the Seahawks have to do is they obviously have to basically, they think they're getting seven. So they run a really short uh, concept and the Eagles linebackers and secondary defenders who don't blitz do just enough to drop into the quarterback's line of sight. So to answer our question of was it the same or different, some things are the same. Some things don't change. Cover one, the cover three on that last drive is a shambles. James Bradbury is still bad. But do you know what? There were a little few tweaks that I thought, do you know what? If they can keep working on this over time, maybe we'll see some slight, slight improvements. Uh, maybe we'll see some. Uh, right, I can already tell by the title of this video that there's some sim pressure. Oh, I've got this clipped up as well. I love this. Yeah. This this is like, right, if we're going to go mad about this was my favorite play because it was so like galaxy brain. Um, yeah, I'm not going to let you talk about this because I've also got this clipped up to show because it really, really made me laugh. Um, yeah, I was just going to say that as as much as the last one, you know, was good, you're going to get bad with this because when you're going to put guys on the line and drop them out, sometimes you can't always drop the linebacker or it becomes predictable. And so on this particular one, the Eagles show pressure, but they drop out Hassan Reddick, who just 
doesn't get connected to a receiver at all. Uh, and it's an easy completion on third and 10. So it, it cuts both ways. You're going to live by that sword. You're going to die by that sword some. Uh, but that was just another example of the Eagles lining up, you know, six across the line of scrimmage. And they really bail out and only send four. And one of the guys they send is Sidney Brown. They drop Hassan Reddick. This time it doesn't work. So there is going to be a bit of like, you'll make some play. You'll win some, you'll lose some with that. Yeah, listen, um, Shane, when you can uh, drop Hassan Reddick and rush Bradley Roby on third and 10, you've just got to do it sometimes. <laughs> so, sometimes you've got to drop your best pass rusher and send Bradley Roby after the quarterback. Well, you see, Matt Patricia has heard people saying he's very tuned into Eagles Twitter, people saying the offense is predictable. And he's like, the defense is going to be unpredictable. I, I'll do so. They will never expect me it's, to blitz Bradley Roby to drop Hassan Reddick. So, and I don't hate it every great once in a while. Like, I don't hate it every great once in a while. Maybe don't do it on third and 10. Maybe do it on first and 10. Like, I'd rather you be a little more structurally sound on third and 10. Uh, it's hard to get into those third and 10 looks, but. Uh, yeah, that that was that was just another example that I had clipped up. Yeah, that was um, that was hilarious. Uh, right, I've gone on for enough time about the new DC. Was there anything that stood out, or you wanted to talk about just in general the defensive coordinator? Uh, yeah, I think I think we pretty specific? well covered. Yeah, I think we pretty well covered most of it. Banjo was the big thing uh, on the bunch that really stood out to me, and uh, just some different and more varied pass rush fronts and blitz looks, you know, for better or for worse. Yeah, the rotation was definitely different as well, wasn't it? Yes. Um, so yeah, I think sure. if someone asked me how much did I expect to change that quickly, like it was never going to change. The whole thing wasn't going to change, was it, over one week? It's going to be the same defense to an extent. I think you saw some good change um, and then you saw some negative change. Um, shall we get into a position that I think everyone wanted us to watch closely this week and everyone wanted to watch closely in general? Uh, cornerback. Um so the Eagles did some really interesting things according about this game. They played Bradbury, which is interesting because he apparently doesn't want to play anymore. Um, he just really doesn't look good, Bradbury. Like, he really doesn't look good. And I don't want to say I told you so, but I, I watched him last year for my free agency review, and he is a zone corner only. He was a perfect fit for Jonathan Gannon's defense. When the Eagles re-signed him, I thought, right, at least they're doing to do more of the Gannon stuff. They don't really run that defense anymore. So I don't really understand the James Bradbury thing, but he's just not a good man coverage corner. And to be honest, he's not a good corner full stop at the moment. Want some positive though. Uh, the Eagles had like three really good young secondary players play well. Uh, Sidney Brown, I don't know if he's going to be a slot corner. I know some people don't like him in coverage and neither do I, to be fair. I'm one of those people saying some people like somewhere. I don't like him in coverage, but oh my goodness, we've said this before on this podcast. He is unbelievable as a run defender and having a good nickel who can play like that, especially on early downs is great. Um, Eli Ricks, I've been a bit up and down on this year, uh, mainly because, you know, UDFA and he's played in the worst position ever. Um, I sort of forgot, Shane, how much I liked Keely Ringo. So I'm watching this guy and I'm thinking, oh, he's good. Um, and then I'm like thinking back to myself and going, wait, Keely Ringo, like he wasn't a UDFA. He was a guy that like fell. And you, you're like me. You watch too many players over the past years. So you have to go back and read your own scouting reports. And then I'm reading like my notes on Keely Ringo. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I had him as a late first round grade. Like, I, I, I'm no surprise that I'm impressed with him. Like, I remembered how good some of his tape is, and he looked really good. So if you want to be optimistic about the future of cornerback, you can moan about Slay and Bradbury all you want, and I still think Slay's very good. But do you know what? Slay, Ricks, uh, Keely Ringo, Sidney Brown, Reed Blankenship, that, that, there's a little bit of talent there. And if Keely Ringo can be good, that will be massive for this team because they wouldn't have to splash out on a second 
cornerback next year. I saw some really positive signs from this week. Um, was there any plays or anything you wanted to talk about in particular with the cornerbacks? Yeah, uh, Keely Ringo is a guy that I had a first round grade on. He was the number 24 guy on my big board. Uh, when wow. it announced that he was going to start, I, I actually went back and retweeted my little two minute scouting video because I put out two minute scouting videos for all of my top 100 prospects uh, leading up to the draft. So I went and retweeted that one. And um, he, I, I really liked what I saw from Ringo. Like, I, I think I'm going to put out an all 22 on Ringo because I, I did get a bunch of clips from him. Um, and if I, you know, if this was a Sunday game, I would have those clips rolling on the screen with him highlighted right now. So you guys could see them all. But, um, one of the things that I really liked, and I mentioned it last week in the little bit he played was he wasn't afraid to make tackles in the run game, uh, on this particular play, he's at the top of the screen here and he's going to come downhill and he's going to make a hit in the running game. Now he's not going to wrap he's not going to wrap him up but he strings it out long enough Sydney Brown comes along and Sydney Brown's begging to get flagged for hitting a guy out of bounds but um he and Brown are both so aggressive against the run it's fun to see like there were several times they were on the same side and the Seahawks just ran away from them um but it wasn't just him in you know run defense obviously he he had some really good reps in coverage I thought and he didn't get thrown at a lot uh he had uh, one pass breakup, and I know I've got that one here. It, it was a play I was really impressed by. I'll throw it up on the screen. He's down here at the bottom of the screen, uh, and I think he does a really good job. Like He's playing from off coverage. He's patient. He lets the route come to him. He's just kind of squatting, uh, nose over toes, so he can drive down on the ball. Uh, he's watching Drew Locke, and he drives down. And just, I mean, just look at when he starts to move on this. Like, you're watching the receiver. And the receiver's throttling down right now. Like, that's his big step, his big exaggerated step to plant and cut outside. And just watch how quickly Ringo reacts to this. He's already moving. And he attacks the ball. He gets it out. I thought that was such a good rep by Ringo. There were some really good press. There was no other plays on the ball for him, uh, really. But he didn't allow a reception per PFF charting. I've got several clips of the ball not going his way but him having really good like press interactions off the line of scrimmage. Uh, I just thought it was a really good game by Keely Ringo. And so I'm excited to see him play some more. I, to be hundred percent honest, I, I would start him outside. I would start he and Eli Ricks outside the final three weeks of the season. And if you want to put James Bradbury in the slot, that's fine. You're limiting his, uh, the impact of his lost athleticism. If you put him in the slot, and I had somebody question me about that on Twitter, and I could understand how maybe that doesn't make sense to people because we talk, I've talked about Eli Ricks isn't athletic enough to play in the slot. Well, why are you saying put James Bradbury in the slot if he's not athletic? It's a different thing. Like Eli Ricks has no agility. That, that's the issue. It's hard to handle those two-way goes out of the slot uh, without that agility. But you put Eli Ricks outside, suddenly like, Routes pretty much have to break inside. The only thing that can break outside is an out route or a corner route, but then you've got the sideline to help you versus the slot where that's a bigger issue. So you put Bradbury in the slot, not because he's not agile, because he doesn't have that top speed anymore. That's just gone. You see him get toasted by Jackson Smith and Jigba on the last play of the game, a guy who isn't fast. He's not an elite speedster. And so if you can put Bradbury in the slot, he's protected over the top. 
even in single high cover one looks, he's got a safety over the top to help him. So that's what I would like to see over the final three weeks of the season. Uh, let Ricks and uh, Ringo play outside. Whichever one of them is better over the final three weeks, that's your outside starter opposite Darius Slay for the playoffs. And, you know, if you want to rotate Bradbury into the slot, I'm fine with that. Um, but that's kind of how I would approach the rest of the season at cornerback. Yeah, I don't really know what to do with Bradbury. Um, uh, as I said, I mean, you can go, I read, I read, a, I, I posted a lot about him last offseason because I went back and watched him and I was not impressed basically by the, his end of season film. I think he's soft and I've always thought he's soft. And I loved watching Keely Ringo in run defense this week, like properly loved it. Like that man is fast. We've said for ages, this team has no speed. The defense is slow. Like I like Kevin Bayard. I think he's played a little bit better in the past few weeks, but he's slow. Like he's a 31 year old, whatever safety. Um, they can't move. They're slow on the back end. And he just looks explosive, young and fun, basically. Like he hits hard. He has some great snaps. Um, in run defense as well. Yeah, running downfield. And what I found really interesting, which I've never understood, and I would love to ask the Eagles this, I'd love to in an interview, is why did you sign loads of press cornerbacks, including Greedy Williams? Everything I assumed they were going to do this year was going to be press man coverage. Yet Slay and Bradbury don't press, basically, ever. Bradbury is a zone-only corner. That strikes me as disconnect between front office and between uh, coaching staff, because Bradbury is not a fit for what the Eagles have done this year. Like, he should be with Jonathan Gannon in Arizona. He should be playing match quarters basically every snap or, or some form of match zone coverage because that's what he's good at. He is not good at what the Eagles are doing at the moment. I would probably bench him as well. I don't know what that's like from a culture point of view. The defense is already a little bit torn and I don't know what that does to the locker room, etc. Because I, I imagine Bradbury's a bit of a soul cut. Maybe that's very unfair of me to say. I just have a feeling getting benched for Eli Ricks is a bit naff. I think uh, they could use him sporadically. Maybe say they're going to rotate all their, all their cornerbacks. That could be an idea to try and keep him fresh. Um, I was really impressed, though. Like, really impressed. I Whether he'll do it or not, we'll see. There's a long, long way to go. But I would give him as many reps as he can. I'm surprised we haven't seen Ringo more. I know he's raw. But I'm surprised we've seen Ricks more than... I hate the fact they're called so similar. Uh, it really annoys me on tape as well. <laughs> Ringo or Ricks. But, uh, I do Ringo appreciate one. that one of them wears a black arm sleeve and one wears a white arm sleeve. It makes it easy to tell them apart. Yeah, Keely Ringo is the one for me. That's the one that I think I'm really, really interested by. Ricks remains to be seen. Uh, Keely Ringo is my um, player that I'm sort of really going to be watching down the stretch. Uh, I can see clips on the on the screen, Shane. Are you showing more clips of a young, fun quarterback? Yes, this time it's going to be Ricks. Uh, so we got Eli Ricks at the bottom of the screen. He's going to track motion across. And I just want you to watch watch Ricks and watch Sidney Brown. They're going to spin this into cover one. And I think they both do a really good job. Ricks is tracking this across here. They're going to try to run like a little rub route. And notice like he's outside. He's on. I think this is Tyler Lockett. I can't remember who's going to like fake an out route and break inside. It's on the final drive, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. Ricks is right there. Sidney Brown is diving down. Like this is, this is what you want to see. You want to see young, fast guys flying around the football, like, gets down, boom, both guys are there to make a play. Now, you'd love to see Sidney Brown come up with that interception. And, and I mean, that's probably a pick six, and you probably win the game, and that really sucks, But uh, because especially knowing how this drive turns out, but just really good defense. Two guys flying around the ball. Um, I, I just want to see that more. I want to see that more. I want to see James Bradbury less. This is what uh, they call a transition, I believe, Shane. So I want to see more Sidney Brown. I don't care where he plays. Do you know who I want to see less of, Shane? Uh, I want... I, well, is it? I mean, is James Bradbury. 
Uh, it's not even James Bradbury. It's someone I want to see even less of than James Bradbury. Ooh, uh, oh, I, okay. I feel really oh, bad. Oh, yeah, I know who you're going to I feel about. so bad picking on individuals. I never like doing it. I don't do it to be mean. I always try and do it professionally rather than Shaq just Leonard. he stinks. Shaq Leonard can't run. Like, I can't believe the Eagles and Cowboys both decided to sign him based on his physical because I don't want to exaggerate, but the man can't move. <laughs> like, some of the clips actually had me laughing. They were so bad. I think you've got the one that we spoke about off air up, haven't you? The Sidney Brown one. Like, yes, this play but... is horrible. Like, I would have Sidney Brown on the field anywhere over him. I don't care if he's playing like Sam, like stack linebacker. I, I literally don't care. I don't think he can do worse. Sidney Brown misses tackles, and he missed tackles in this game. And he had a couple of costly missed tackles. And um, he was by no means perfect. But Sidney Brown is amazing at flying around the football. Like, look at this play. He charges Kenneth Walker, and Sidney Brown misses the tackle. I don't mean to be rude if you're watching on the video and I'm going to post this out myself as well. It's one of my plays I've got to tweet. But Jack Leonard literally looks like he's stuck in sand. Like when he tries to turn here, number one, he should be closing and tackling Walker anyway. When he tries to turn and run, Sidney Brown actually gets up and is like five, six, seven yards down the field ahead of him. I, I feel bad, but basically Jack Leonard can't do anything. He can't play in coverage. He can't uh, rush the quarterback. He's useless uh, taking on uh, blockers in the run game. There was a clip, and I'm going to sound like some psychomaniac, where I'm literally sitting at home laughing so much because he turns sideways to try and take on a blocker, and he looks so uncoordinated. Like, the man's body is just not there. Like, you can't play him. Christian Ellis should have been kept. And I don't even think that's... It's not even debatable that Christian Ellis is a better player than he is. And I barely even watch Christian Ellis. I'm just telling you, the one game I did. Christian Ellis, the one game I watched him, had a play where he charged on an outside zone play by the 49ers and tackled Debo Samuel for a four-yard loss. There is no way Shaq Leonard's doing that. Like, absolutely no way. Um, unless something magical changes, and I don't know what the situation is with the other linebackers, uh, they need to swallow their pride already. I know they probably promised his agent some things and they probably paid him and they got him through the door and I don't know what contract he's on and I don't know what they told him and I know politics comes into these things and his agent says, well, you could have gone to Dallas if you had... I don't really know, but the, the man can't run at the moment. <laughs> like, I feel really mean at watching him, but it's brutal, Shane. It's brutal. Like, the linebacker's been bad all year, but linebacker's not been this bad. Like, Nicholas Moreau makes splash plays here or there. Is that cutting him? make splash plays quite often. The Kobe Dean can at least fly around. Like it's like watching somebody who shouldn't be playing football, playing football. Um, I don't really know what to say at this point. Oh, you got the great, uh, like, like just look at this play. I mean, there's no way Christian Ed, like, sorry, Shaqlin, it's not like they're just different athletes and Christian Ed isn't even a good athlete. There was just simply no way the man moves like that. I don't think it helps. He's got these weird white sleeves on as well. So I just see him on every play, Shaq Leonard. Uh, he just stands out so much, but I, I really did. I don't, I don't know how many snaps he played. Um, I'm going to Google it as we talk because however many you played was too many because I, I, I honestly, there's not many really players that I've watched before and I've just been like, they outright can't play. Uh, he was up there. Like I felt bad watching him, but it was absolutely uh, brutal. Um, yeah. Do you have anything to add before you get to your final point and we get out of here on Shacklers? I feel bad picking on him, but it was ugly. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was pretty bad. Uh, the Eagles really need Zach Cunningham back uh, ASAP and Sh Shaq Leonard is a big part of the reason Sidney Brown played so much. The Eagles preferred to play big nickel uh, with Sidney Brown in the box next to Nicholas Morrow and, and keeping Shaq Leonard off the field. So uh, it's really bad and it stinks. I mean, Sh Shaq Leonard was such a good player 
Like he was on a Hall of Fame ish trajectory, like three All Pros, and he had the injuries, and it, he's just not right. And you know that stinks to see. Uh, he's a guy that's probably he's mentally all there. He just physically can't perform at, at the moment, and I don't see that getting better. I don't see that helping out. And yeah, it is kind of it's kind of sad that the Eagles and the Cowboys were fighting over this guy because he's just not good at this point in time. Um, yeah, my final point was the pass rush. The Eagles construct their defense around the pass rush. Uh, they have invested three first round picks in the last two years on the defensive line, Jordan Davis, Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith. They have paid Hassan Reddick. They've paid J Josh sweat. They're paying Fletcher Cox a lot of money. They brought back Brandon Graham. The pass rush just isn't good enough. And we called for the rotation early in the year and it didn't happen. And I don't know if this is a result of them wearing down. Um, I know Hassan Reddick is a very hot and cold player. He heats up out of nowhere and maybe that happens over the final three weeks of the season. But as much as we want to talk about, well, you know, they were playing the run differently this year and teams are getting the ball out faster, whatever. The whole mantra is earn the right to rush the passer. When you have a lead and the other team has one timeout and 92 yards to go in under two minutes, they're going to pass the ball. And they called 10 straight passes on the last drive. The Eagles had zero sacks, zero QB hits. They had one pressure on those 10 passes. It's just, it's simply not good enough. The, the Eagles overinvest in the trenches with the idea our pass rush can take over games at the detriment of linebacker, at the detriment of safety. And the pass rush isn't good enough. Like, if you want to know the pathway to the Eagles competing in the playoffs, like making a run in the playoffs, Two things have to happen. One, the offense has to fix their stuff. And we talked about that at the start of the show and how this offense could heat up if they'll stop at hunting explosive plays and take what the defense give them. They're certainly talented enough to do so, especially now that Hertz's legs appear to be back. Like I could very much see the offense heating up. The other thing that has to happen is the pass rush has to impact games. And I'm not saying take over games. The 49ers, the Cowboys, the, the Chiefs are not going to let you take over a game with your pass rush, but you have to be able to do enough in a few spots to get off the field. And not that the defense was bad in this game by any stretch of the imagination. They only gave up 20, but they didn't get off the field. When, when it counted, they couldn't get off the field. And this pass rush simply has to be better. Like the offense needs to be putting up 30. The defense needs to be able to get some sacks, generate some negative plays. And it's just not happening. And this was a backup quarterback who dropped back 35 times and only took two sacks, no sacks on his final 10 dropbacks on the last drive. Um, you have to get better in the trenches. And I think that starts with getting your legs back. I, I would love to see. Of course, Nolan Smith left this game banged up. Hopefully he's okay. I would love to see a lot of snaps for Nolan Smith over the final three games. Uh, maybe some more snaps for Brandon Graham and, and spelling Josh Sweat and Hassan Reddick, trying to limit their reps to get them, uh, get their legs back under them and hopefully get Hassan Reddick going. Uh, because like I said, he's a hot and cold player. It'd be really nice. He's going to have two games against Evan Neal in the final three weeks of the season. And Evan Neal is terrible right now at right tackle. I would like to see Hassan Reddick go off over the last couple games. So uh, that's my final point on the defense.
Love it. I was going to say we need to end it there, Shane, and we do because peek behind the curtain, I've got lots of writing to do. Uh, but I wanted to end with something very strange because we're recording at about eight forty um, Wednesday night. Oh, I'm so British. Eight forty my time Wednesday night. To ninety nine percent of you listening, that's like three o'clock in the afternoon or something. And basically, um, uh, Nick Sirianni has his conference, uh, his conference, his press conference currently, and. Um, from based on my Twitter, it's very, very uh, feisty, should we say? And he's coming out with some interesting comments. So I wanted to end because I think it talks to a few things we've seen. So one of the things he said was that it mass- it's not Matt Patricia's scheme. He is running Sean Desai's scheme, which is very interesting uh, to say that a defensive coordinator is not running his own scheme. He's running someone else's scheme. I'm not sure if he meant it to sound like that. But the second one I thought was really interesting. And I'm, we're not going to talk about it again. We spoke about it earlier on, but I just want to show you. Um, I want to bring it up because we spoke about it earlier on. Basically, he said something along the lines of, if you're going to blame anyone, don't blame Brian Johnson, blame me. This is my scheme. This is not Brian Johnson's offense. He said quite clearly he is calling players. This is my offensive scheme. And there are two things that he said, uh, which I think are interesting. Number one, and I think if you haven't heard this, you're going to enjoy this, Shane. Uh, he said the aim on the final play of the game, the interception, was to get a defensive pass interference call against AJ Brown. Uh, that was the aim of the play. <laughs> he said that. And he said he's perfectly comfortable with the deep shot. So once again, we can talk all we want. And again, he might be defending his quarterback and behind closed doors, he might say something else. But I think in Sirianni's world, when it's single high, let it fly, he's okay with that shot being taken. And they asked him about Chris Watkins. He said his speed changes the game. Sometimes he's in there to clear the field and show his speed because it's legit speed um, or legit, legit. Again, it just goes back to this idea of that's what they prioritize in the slot position. Uh, Zacchaeus is a better receiver. I'm like 99.9% sure Zacchaeus is a better player based on everything I've seen throughout the last two years. But that's what it comes down to. This offense, if it doesn't look in the mirror, if it doesn't have a little bit of a wake-up call in terms of how they call their plays, you can talk who you want about Jalen Hurts missing his reads and Brian Johnson calling this and that. Um, there's some really big structural things this Eagles team has to look at. I then the positive is that I think they absolutely can. I don't believe they're dumb. You don't win 10 games being thick. You don't win, get to the Super Bowl last year and basically put in as good as an offensive performance you will ever have in the Super Bowl by being idiots. They are not idiots, but they need to start having a real look in the mirror or um, this could be one of those seasons, Shane, where we talk about what ifs after a one and done loss in the playoffs. Yeah, I could talk. Uh, for a long time about how bad of an idea it is to just try to get a 30 yard defensive pass interference when you need 15 yards. But I don't have the energy for that. That's, that's an asinine approach to getting into field goal range there. Uh, I hate it. Um, I hope that he's just defending calls that were bad and he knows it and he's just not going to admit it because he's doing the coach speak thing with the press, but uh, I don't even know. I don't even know what you say with that. Uh, the vibes are really bad. Not that this is a vibes podcast, but vibes are real bad around the Eagles right now, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you say? As I said, positives, they can fix it. Negatives, it may take. Uh, it may take an off season, which is a real shame because they got some real talent on this team, and they got some players that maybe not be here next year. 
and it'd be a real shame basically just waste it um I do think the next three games, just quickly to finish up, are sort of weirdly pointless in some ways because of how bad the teams are. But I'm going to argue they're not pointless because I think we can start to see some structural changes, even if the opposition they're playing are not great. Like I think there are still things I want to see. There are going to be specific things I'm looking out for. Um, so hopefully next week we'll be winning, first of all, because if not, we're on full meltdown. Um, but there are things that I can see. So even though everyone's going to say, ah, oh, but these three games don't matter, I think they do matter from a sense of let's get some confidence back. Let's actually see if they make uh, some changes. But yeah, on to next week. On to next week. If the Eagle, if we're on this podcast next week after an Eagles loss, Johnny and I might just start breaking down draft prospects or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it might be time, but hopefully we're not going to be there. Hopefully the Eagles uh, will bounce back. That's going to do it for this episode of On the Shane Page. Thank you guys for tuning in to this podcast. If you enjoy the show, Please give us five-star ratings and reviews on Apple, Spotify, wherever you're getting your podcasts. Uh, thumbs up on the YouTube video really helps get that out there to more people. Of course, we always appreciate the comments in the YouTube uh, as well. Uh, I am. You can follow me on Twitter at ShaneHalfNFL. You can follow him at JohnnyPage9. And we will catch you guys next week for Eagles-Giants. Hopefully victory. I should say, hopefully an Eagles victory. Film breakdown. Catch you guys next week.